Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A visibly disabled person, filmmaker Reed Davenport sets out to make a film about how he sees the world from either his wheelchair or his two feet without having to be seen himself. The unexpected arrival of a circus tent outside of his apartment in Oakland, California, leads him to consider the history and legacy of P.T. Barnum's freak show and the lingering presence in his daily life in the form of gawking, lack of access, and other forms of ableism. We're joined today by the director of, I believe, award-winning film, um, and that would be Reed Davenport. The film is I Didn't See You There. Reed, welcome to Film School Radio. Great to be here. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you so much. I um, want to start with that you've made a number of short films prior to making I Didn't See You There. What were you learning in terms of as a filmmaker? What were you learning in the in those films? I know you also edit them, shot them, et cetera, et cetera. So you were learning a lot about filmmaking. But what is the takeaway from making those short films into what we see in I Didn't See You There? Well, I think the... I think the short films really uh, constitute the genesis of identity there. And, and actually the genesis is or, or, or the motivation for the short films is pretty illogical. I saw that Stuff really wasn't changing. I mean, I don't say that because I think the show feels brilliant or or was seen by so many people, but it was like I had done these films about access and I still thought that there could be other elements put in there to really get my point across about ableism and perspective and, and just um, the befuddlement of many disabled people as to why they could continue to be ostracized so uh, drastically. So I decided that I would show you a closer approximation to my physical point of view and that would lend itself to the metaphoric or the, the spiritual the the more of ethereal experience of being disabled. I will I want to talk about the aesthetic of the film, the look of it, the way that you shot it, what you how you went about the process once you shot the film. I like the PT Barnum circus where you're where you take that metaphor uh, of that. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why you wanted to introduce that element into the film. Sure, I think I think um, I had been wondering about as a documentary filmmaker 
voyeurism and I think any documentary filmmaker with their thoughts will question whether or not voyeurism has seeped into their practice or has seeped into why audiences are watching their films. And for me, I think, especially with the personal films, I was subjugated myself. I, you know, was hired by universities to talk about my experience as a, as a disabled person. And I was questioning to what degree voyeurism played a part in this. Um, so I already had that idea or that kind of curiosity as to whether I was opting into the freak show. And then the circus tent went up outside of my apartment and I had already started shooting some stuff. And as you see in the film, the circus tent is just so gorgeous and bizarre and really disturbing and triggering for me. And I wasn't quite sure whether it would be in the film, but I couldn't stop filming it for those reasons. And I think that my thoughts on the free show really connected kind of serendipitously to this spectacle that was now um, way up outside my apartment. Yeah, the film is you navigating day-to-day -day life. And it starts out with you in the subway in Oakland, BART, I assume that's what that is. Yes. And just, uh, just a bird's eye view. What I found interesting is, as I alluded to in the introduction, we don't see you except in glimpses and partial shots in the film. Always something that you had in mind when you were making the film. What was yes. that, that choice? There are, there are several reasons. I think one of the big ones is that even today, disabled people, when they are seen, they are not heard. And I wanted to do the complete opposite. I wanted to show my perspective while withholding my actual, the actual image of myself and really it has nothing to do with being ashamed of my body, but it has to do with really trying to put people in my perspective and if they see the image of where that perspective is coming from it's going to be a little more difficult to inhabit that it's interesting the film was given to me i have two versions of the film one is you and you're commenting in real time on where you are and what you're doing. And then we, you know, we hear your voice. The second one I got was a what they call closed caption version, which is different. 
And I, I'm just kind of curious about those two different versions. So, so did one of the versions have wall-to-wall voiceover? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that is the audio described version that is an accessible feature for people who are blind or low vision. And then we offer the film with closed captioning, not subtitles or open captions, but closed captioning for people who usually use closed captioning. Gotcha, gotcha. The style of the film, it reminds me of some experimental filmmakers, documentary filmmakers I've seen mention of Stan Brackage as sort of a reference in terms of the style, the way it's shot, the rhythm of the street, the rhythm of the chair on the sidewalk, uh, which I really like. It gives it a lot of tactile feel to the film. It, it really felt like the way that you went about, yeah, winning about presenting it what was sort of the aesthetic choice you were making? I kind of just thought it looked really cool. Okay. When I, I first started filming, and then as it became clear that it was a movie, I, I th- we decided that it would be a great space for to to um encourage contemplation, um, encourage a degree of impatience, and of course, show a perspective that is unusual, for lack of a better word, but also hopefully kind of fun as well. I love it, but I like an experience that takes me out of my comfort zone, that takes me away from what I experience in a day, in a daily life or just, yeah, I just liked being taken out of that space. And I, I thought it, the film does that very effectively. I want to remind our listeners are speaking with uh, Reed Davenport. He is the director. Oh my gosh. I, you wear many hats. So I want to make sure I get all of them here. You are director. Director. Cinematographer. Cinematographer. Very good. Yes. And, um, and you've got, an amazing array of producers to come on board. I just literally spoke last week with Elisa Namias and uh, what a fantastic work she did with art and crimes by crimes. Terrific, terrific stuff. It's been really wonderful to work with her. Yeah. There's so many great people involved. Uh, Bern Moser. Reid, this is the film school part of the film school radio question. Did you have uh, backers lined up? Did you have financing? How did it work? Because this film is in significant release. And like I said, some heavy hitters involved. How did that all come about? I mean, we made made the film uh, primarily with grants from foundations. uh, To name a few, the Ford Foundation. Doc Society, Port Joint Institute, NBC, Universal. So that is that is really how we use media and, and also to have the backing of people XGR, the Wayne Foundation. Yeah, it's really spectacular to see just the reception 
people wanted to contribute to the film even before it was released. Well, the important part of my question in that regard has to do with the expectation that I would have that this is going to afford you an opportunity to continue to work, to make the films you want to make, to open up doors that you previously may not have had open to you and for you to be able to continue. To yeah, I hope you're right. I mean, um, I am working on another feature right now. Okay. There is this, I think there is this trepidation that momentum is elusive and you don't want to ever um, have the opportunity for momentum to slow down. So definitely trying to continue to ride this wave and, and continue to create. When it comes to films and filmmakers in the past, who gets it right? Who, in your opinion, gets it right when telling stories about disabled or non-able-bodied people? Are you are you saying Examples about, about examples people? of films, yeah, that have gotten it right. Well, it's it's usually by disabled people. Okay. Um, Jason DeSilva comes to mind as a prime example. Uh, I did when I walk and when we walk. Um, I think an example of of a non-disabled person who got it right is Roger Wars Williams with Life Animated. I thought he did a really good job there. But most, and obviously, this is so obvious that I forgot, but Junior Brett and Nicole Nuna in Crip Camp, they both got it right as a as a disabled co-director, as a non-disabled co-director. Um, right but very often um, when you have a non-disabled person, especially a non-disabled relative, of a disabled person making a film about disability, um, it's usually not very good. And it, usually, it usually perpetuates stigma. Your uh, reaction to uh, David Lynch and Elephant Man, was that? Um, well, I mean, I'm more of a documentary. Habit. Well, I was going to say all the films you mentioned were documentary. Yeah, there's, I, it's hard in a narrative film, I guess. It's more. I just was curious if you. That's the one that came to mind when I was trying to think of a film. I mean, it's a long history. I mean, you think of my foot that won the Academy Award was played by a man who wasn't disabled. I mean, yeah. it's, it's kind of a joke. And, and I would like to say that, that that sort of thing would happen now, but I really don't know. There was a um, precisely awful movie a few years ago called Me Before You, where the disabled man in an active 
he always just kills himself. So we have a long way to go, but there definitely are a plethora of disabled actors who are stepped over for um, non-disabled actors. Thank you. Thank you, Reed, for that. I want to once again remind listeners that the film is called I Didn't See You There. Excuse me. We're speaking with the director, Reed Davenport, and the film is coming out on October 7th, I believe here in Los Angeles. I'll have all this information at the website. I don't have it, it right. It, right. Will, it will be a week from tomorrow. So October, excuse me, a week from Friday, October 14th at the Denver Monica. Again, my congratulations to you on the work and so looking forward to more work from you and certainly the critical response has been quite strong. I think it's at 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is no small feat. All the best to you. Thank you so much, Ray. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking with Reed Davenport, the director of the new documentary film, I Didn't See You There. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Radio.